All right, welcome back to Linjaw Hockey Podcast. We are in partnership with the Black and Gold Hockey Productions. You're here with uh, co-host, father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing today? Andrew, doing great. Look, you've got to go right into this. This is uh, breaking news, and we actually scheduled this uh, guest. Uh, it just so happened it fell into our lap. We, we must know who to get guests, Andrew, because we've got uh, uh, a new head coach here today. So give us the intro. Yeah, so today we have Terrence Wallen. So Terrence's playing career, let's start there, began to take off a young age when he committed to playing at UMass Lowell following his U.S. prep hockey days and played for his alma mater from 2011 to 2015. And during that time, claiming two NCAA Hockey East championships in 2013-2014. After graduating from university, Terrence went to turn pro and spent his first year playing between the SPHL and the ECHL. From there, he continued to play between those leagues, including some small stints in the AHL from 2015 until 2020 before officially retiring from his uh, pro playing career. After dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic, Terrence began his pro coaching career this past season as an assistant coach for the main Mariners of the ECHL. And of course, there are big news for uh, Terrence to talk about today. Um, so we're excited to have him. I'll let him take and steal the show. So Terrence, thanks for joining us today, man. Yeah. Guys, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk hockey. All right. So Terrence, uh, just two hours ago before you came on this podcast, and we are the new hockey insiders, by the way. Um, so congratulations. Why don't you tell us uh, what what we're saying congratulations for? Yes. Uh, about two hours ago, I actually got the call um, that I'll be taking over the head coaching job here in Maine uh, with the Mariners and the ECHL. Um, we're the affiliate of the Boston Bruins, but obviously I played here for for my last two years, um, I, was, I was fortunate enough to get an assistant coaching job right out of playing here um, under Riley Armstrong uh, and Danny Briere. And then they left Ben Gite, who was the assistant coach at the University of Maine, hopped in. Uh, I honestly wasn't sure if I would get the assistant coach's job, but I, uh, Danny had my back and I was fortunate to stay on the bench and get to work under Ben Gite, who is an unbelievable person, unbelievable hockey mind uh, and a great mentor to me. Um, and then, yeah, I just got a call that I'll take over the head coaching job here for 2022-23. So congratulations. And like you said, we're going to go through your career here in a moment, but we want to talk you know, about the breaking news here. So how long did it take for the organization to, uh, you know, give you the job, meaning the job search was, you know, about how long and what was the process? Uh, the, the process wasn't too long. I kind of had a good idea. I have a good relationship with everybody in the organization, having been here four or five years now. Uh, so the process wasn't too long. They opened it up, but I think I had a, a lot of the right people in my corner and a lot of people going to bat for me that, uh, and, and that matters a lot in this world. And I, I can't thank those people enough. And, um, again, I, I got the chance to work under Ben Gite, Danny Briere, Riley Armstrong for the last two, three years. Uh, and those are three really good hockey minds and three really good people that uh, have helped me get to this point. Yeah. And so now that you're going to be taking on your first pro uh, head coaching job, I know that you only got two hours into it, but I'm sure your mind was starting to race and some of the things that you maybe want to start to plan, but as a new head coach, what's, what's going to be the first uh, line of order for your new guys? Yeah. I think the first thing that I did when I found out was send a, a big uh, group chat to the guys who are signed already with us and let them know that I'll be taking over. And um, I, I think I'm going to be big on communication. So I want to get together with those guys and hop on a zoom and let them know what to expect here in the near future. Um, I want to talk to all the people in the front office a lot, but 
I got to, I got to go and interview for uh, some assistant coaches. We have a director of hockey operations uh, position opening up. So uh, there's, there's a lot of phone calls to be had, a lot of talking with agents, a lot of talking with players. Um, but I, I'm just, honestly, I'm, I'm humbled and excited to get going and, and kind of get to work. So talk to us a little bit about, about the culture that you want to bring. Uh, like you said, you're not, uh, uh, you're not a stranger to the organization. You played there, you were assistant coach, um, but now it's going to be your team. How are you going to kind of shape the culture or continue the culture, should I say, to attract players? Yeah, it's funny. When I called the guys that I was potentially taking over, I wanted them to know that I wasn't going to come in and completely change our culture because I think we had a good one last year. We were a super young team. Uh, we're bringing a lot of guys back. And I think that what we built last year is something that we can really build on this year. Um, we're, bringing, we're bringing a ton of guys back that we want back and they're guys who want to be here. So I think we have the culture already instilled. Obviously, you keep building and you, you want to maximize all their effort and their attitude when they're here. But I, I think that it'll be an easy transition for me just having worked with a lot of these guys the past season. Um, the culture, um, I think here it's I just said it, but my, my two big words are effort and attitude. Um, I think those are two things that you can bring to the rink every single day. Um, if you if you are working hard and you're, you're going to work for your brothers in the locker room and you have a good attitude, about what's happening uh, outside the rink um, and whatever's going on inside the rink. I think having a good attitude, especially in the ECHL, there, there's times during the year where things aren't optimal for players. Uh, you go through a lot of, a lot of highs and lows. Um, if you can have a good po positive attitude uh, throughout the season and have, have leaders that you can lean on to, to mold the younger guys, you'll be in a good spot. So uh, you might not be able to answer this question now, but um... Do you have any relationship with the current Bruins uh, or organizations, whether it be Providence or even the Bruins? And have they had, how are you going to fit into that structure or have you, I can't remember if you were Bruins affiliate last year or not. That's why I'm asking. Yep. Last year we were with the Bruins too. So um, summer 2021, uh, Ben and I actually went down to their rookie development camp and we went out to the uh, rookie camp out in Buffalo so we got to know uh, guys like Evan Gold, Jamie Langenbrunner, Ryan Mouchnell. We got to know those guys pretty well, um, which helps so much. You're seeing it more and more now. The ECHL affiliates are getting – they're trying to get location-wise closer to the AHL. And it just helps so much that we can take a two-hour drive south to uh, the Warrior Ice Center in, in Boston and go see these guys pretty easily. And um, get, get on, we were able to get on the ice and work with these guys. So – we have a good relationship with Providence um, and Boston. And I think that you, you'll see that kind of continue to blossom. And I think for Mariners fans, it was a huge deal because we're in New England. Like this is Bruins territory. So we see a lot of those Bruins fans come out to our games to see future prospects that, that dress up in the black and gold. And um, it's an exciting, it's been an exciting last year and a half, two years here in Maine. Yeah. And so I'm curious, I know you haven't obviously dealt with it yet, but one of the main things we like to ask uh, ECHL assistant coaches, head coaches, even in the AHL level too, you know, you're constantly dealing with players that are, you know, either drafted by the organization that are, you know, have two-way contracts between the NHL and AHL, sometimes drop down to ECHL if their contract allows it or however that works. But I'm curious how, especially as ECHL coach, you know, for people that don't know, we have a lot of uh, friends and family that listen are not familiar with the minor league 
hockey circuit, but you as a coach are also the director of hockey operations as well. You sign the players, you're doing all the work. How do you think you personally will deal with, um, you know, some of your best players being brought up during playoff time? Suddenly you have new faces. You have to sign guys last minute. That's got to be really stressful to, first of all, build an organization, not just a team, but an organization and keep it strong the whole time while you're losing players. That's a good question. I mean, I think one thing that I have going for me is that um, I'm kind of fresh out of the game. So I know how the league has worked the last couple of years. I've been through it. I've been a call up. I've been a send down. Um, so I can kind of talk these guys through the process. If they're unfamiliar with it, I've been there. I've been in a lot of these situations. So I think that that's one thing that I want to do is, is have good communication with these guys and let them know, like, this is kind of how it goes and, and kind of guide them through their path. But Again, it's fun. It's fun. Like I've been at it here for a little bit. I've, I've kind of been the interim for a couple of days and now it's official, but it's fun. Like you get to, you get to talk to a lot of people, you get to build your own thing. Um, it's a lot of work. You got to wear a lot of hats. Um, but at the end of the day, you need to realize as a coach in the ECHL, our job is to send these guys to the next level. Um, I'm not coming in and trying to hold guys back just so the main Mariners can win. Obviously, that's the goal is that we want to we want to win the Kelly Cup, um, but we're a development league first and we want to send these guys to the AHL and eventually to the National League. Um, and that's that's priority number one. And uh, it's it's on us. It's on the head coach, the assistant coach, director of hockey ops to make sure that once our good players or our better players do go up to the American League, that we can we can fill those spots with good SPHL guys or, or smart trades or stuff like, and stuff like that. Um, so it's fun. It's obviously it's going to be a roller coaster at times and you're never really ready until you, you really hop into it with two feet. Uh, and I'm excited to do that. And it, again, it, it's going to have its ups and downs just like anything else, but uh, it's that effort and attitude that I kind of roll with each and every day that um, I think that we'll be able to get by and we'll have a good successful team. So Terrence, before we get to uh, um, your, your, your playing career and uh, give all the listeners a, a complete background on you. One last coaching question. And this obviously came up last year as an assistant coach and something that the ECHL and I guess the, the AHL uh, deal with. So when it comes time for playoffs here in the East Coast League, it seems, um, do you think, well, I, I shouldn't put it to this way. It, to me, it seems a little unfair that um, teams that are done and the AHL affiliate, those East Coast teams get to pull in anybody they want and the other East Coast teams that are in the playoffs, but their AHL affiliate is deep into the playoffs. They can't get those players. Is that a little unfair advantage or is it just one more layer of complexity that you as a coach have to deal with with that league? Because it seems like even the number one teams going into the playoffs, all of a sudden it's like throw it out the window because you can pull in any AHL players you want, basically. Yeah, that's that's another good question. To a certain extent, it's the nature of the beast. Like you have to let you have to let the dominoes fall where they will. Um, but you see it in our league a lot. Teams are just built different. Like the some of the teams that win are are a little older. Um, they have guys who have kind of done the AHL circuit. They, they've done the ECHL circuit. They've had their call-ups. They've had their send-downs. 
And now some of these guys are, are willing to go play in an ECHL city where they're comfortable. Maybe they've found their girlfriend there, their wife lives there, uh, and they're willing to stay there for a year. So like the teams like Toledo and Florida, those are teams that are typically a little older and have guys that are um, comfortable being in one spot. Whereas teams like us, um, I know Newfoundland has a lot of AHL contracts that are up and down. Um, are, we, we try to be a little younger and try to move the guys on to the next level. So A, it's the nature of the beast. You, you run into that problem sometimes. I don't think unfair is the word. Um, it, it's, it's how it goes. And uh, it, it depends on how you build your team in the ECHL. Um, and it depends on what the AHL team and NHL team want out of their ECHL affiliate. Um, with us, um, Boston gives us players that are huge impact guys that we probably know aren't going to be around for a while and that they come down here, play good hockey. They build good habits to go play in the American League, whereas some teams uh, leave their guys in the ECHL full time to develop and and all that. So, yeah, it's the playoffs are, are definitely a uh, they're a fun and exciting time, but it's you can you can get five, six good players that uh, have played in the AHL for a good portion of the season. And that, and that kind of loads a roster. But um, again, it's how, how it goes. And you got to find a way to, to make it work. So um, I did say last question, but uh, this is the last question. I know you've answered this because this is part of, I'm sure, the the job interview. Um, but real briefly, give uh, the fans sort of your coaching philosophy, you know, how, what are you going to bring to the table? What are the expectations you have for the players? Um, I mean, you, you know what question I'm asking. Yeah. Um, I think the first thing with the fans is that they, a lot of them know me and I know a lot of them. So I think that they'll be able to tell how I'm going to coach through how I played. Um, I was kind of, I like to pride myself on being like a 200 foot guy. Um, I wore a letter when I was here. So I, I was a, I was a vocal leader. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a fiery competitor, that's for sure, but I know when to keep it even keel. I, I feel like I know when to uh, talk to the guys calmly, and I feel like I know when I need to light a fire under them. Um, it's, it, it's funny. I, I always say that a team kind of falls after their coach, and I think that uh, me being a young coach, I wanted to set the precedent early that it's not going to be a country club coming to the rink every day. I want an open door policy where guys feel they can come in and talk to me and, and my assistant and, and just kind of shoot the breeze with us. I want it to be, I want guys to smile coming to the rink every day. I don't, I don't want them feeling like they're stepping on eggshells. I want a good environment where guys are smiling, playing ping pong, hanging out after the rink. But uh, once we get on that ice, it's time to work. Uh, and I think the guys will know that pretty early. And I'm sure all the guys that have worked with me the last 18 months understand that, uh, what I bring to the arena is, is a good attitude. And then once it's on the ice, that's when we go to work. And I, I, th I think the fans will see that right away. I think we'll play a fast paced uh, game. Obviously you have 10 forwards, So there's some uh, decisions that need to be made, like uh, maintaining guys energy and stuff like that, but we'll play a fast, fast brand of hockey. We'll be, we'll be exciting. We're a fast young team. So it'll be fun for the fans. So coach, let's bring it back a little bit here. And, uh... Uh, we were going to go all the way back to when you started hockey, but I think we'll pick it up in your college. But you, you did start hockey very early on. You had some brothers, is my understanding, and hockey's been in the family. Um, but you end up at UMass Lowell, good school, my alma mater, as I told you off air. Um, so what made you choose UMass Lowell? 
I think growing up and going to gunnery in Connecticut, uh, you're kind of in that hockey East realm. And my goal was always to play in hockey East. I think that was the number one thing. Um, I had some other teams reach out and I went on some visits to hockey East and ECAC schools. And quite honestly, Blaze McDonald, who's now the head coach at Colby, um, he really just sold me with his energy. Uh, he, he had great energy about him and he, he really sold the program and where the program was headed. Uh, unfortunately, before I got there, he, he, he had moved on, but uh, the rink was unbelievable. It was uh, right in the heart of the city. Uh, it felt like the university was really starting to build and, and grow. Um, and then my sophomore year, uh, every, every sport turned D1. So all the facilities have gotten better. Uh, the housing has gotten better on campus. And it, it's pretty exciting now. Um, I've been out, what's seven years now. And just the difference from my senior year to where it is now is pretty exciting to see as an alumni. Um, but yeah, I, it, at first it was Hockey East, second was Blaze, and then probably third was the arena really caught my attention. So I'm curious here, so I'm, uh, you know, we always like to ask people whether they go the junior route or the uh, collegiate route, kind of a two-part question. Did you ever consider doing junior hockey? Did you have any offers to go and do that? Was, or was college always the goal? And I'm sure that other universities uh, were clamoring to get you on their team as well. Was there any other close choices or was UMass Lowell just the obvious choice? Uh, The the first part of the question is I went to prep school. So kind of once I went to Gunnery, I had an idea that I was going to play college hockey. Obviously, you get some OHL teams that reach out with interest and stuff like that. But I being from America, I grew up in Philadelphia. So being an American uh, the dream has always been college hockey. I, I grew up going to the bean pot up up on Mondays with my dad and stuff. So it was always a dream of mine. So the OHL, the Q, the dub were never really in my, yeah, I, I wasn't going to go play major junior. Um, so, and then the second question, um, what was the second one? Sorry. Um, what other universities uh, wanted to recruit you? I'm sure you had other offers as well. Yeah, and then the the, the second question, um, I ha- I visited quite a few schools. Um, I remember being in awe at how Saint how nice Saint Lawrence was. Um, RPI was a was one that I was close with. Um, Providence was close. Uh, Quinnipiac was close. So those were kind of the, the four or five that I had narrowed it down to. Um, and, and looking back, if, if I went to Quinnipiac or Providence, I would have won a national title. So like anywhere I picked, it felt like I was kind of on a good path, uh, wherever I was going. And I'm, I'm extremely fortunate to have went to UMass Lowell. We had a lot of success there, but it's funny looking back, um, the success that I, I potentially could have had at other universities too. So set the stage for us on signing your first pro contract the time where you said, hey, you know what? This is actually going to be my job. You, you know, you're now going from the collegiate world, D1, which is all great and everything, but now you're playing with men, you've got to support families. All of a sudden it gets real. So set the stage for us, uh, your first pro contract. And I know uh, you first started with uh, the uh, Southern Pacific League. Uh, you could start there uh, or you could jump right into the East Coast League. Totally up to you. So... Yeah, the uh, the first, I, I would say it took me about a year and a half to get acquainted with pro. Um, my first 
contract was actually with the Indy Fuel in the ECHL. Um, and I was a little probably caught off guard. I, again, young guys in this league don't really understand how it works. Um, and that was me. Uh, I went to Indy Fuel camp. I had signed a contract. So I'm thinking, all right, I'm in. Like I'm playing for the Indy Fuel this year. And then out of training camp, I get cut, which was a shock. I wait 10 days and then sign a professional uh, contract with Peoria and SPHL. And I had never even heard of the SPHL. But it turns out that going to the SPHL probably saved my hockey career. I had a great coach down there, Jean-Guy Trudeau. And my last two, three years at UMass Lowell weren't exactly what I wanted from an individual standpoint. We won a ton of games. We won two hockey championships and all that. But from an individual standpoint, it didn't go how I really wanted it to. Um, so going to the SPHL and kind of getting the chance again to be that offensive guy, kind of playing every situation, uh, being thrown into situations that uh, I hadn't been in in a while, kind of it, it turned my hockey career around. And I was fortunate to go down there and play big minutes and produce offensively. And then uh, I actually got called up to the Adirondack Thunder, my rookie season. Uh, I remember Cal McLean calling me, who's actually the assistant now in Calgary. And he called me and said, uh, when do you want your flight to be? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to drive. So I drove 24 hours from Peoria, Illinois, all the way out to Adirondack in my first my pro game. I'm a minus three. <laughs> I might need to drive 24 hours right back to Peoria, Illinois. So, it, again, you're, you're a young kid. You don't really know what to expect in these situations. And it, it could have really turned on a dime right there. But they were Adirondack held on to me, and I, I finished out the season with them. But just goes to show when you're when you're young and dumb, you don't really know how to play the situations the right way. Yeah, and so you know, eventually, I mean, 2017, 2018 season, you do uh, notch 50 points, 21 goals during that time. I imagine now at that point you're starting to feel confident again, and I I would also feel that maybe you felt like you're starting to come into your own as a player then, and that maybe I I can do this for a while and make a living. Was that were you feeling that at that point? What was going on? Yes. Um, it actually kind of dates back to my time in Rapid City that that second year when I got called up to Rapid City, I think that that was kind of like my coming out party for me personally. Uh, I was a level up, but I was kind of playing the same minutes. I was playing the SPHL, which I was again, I was super fortunate to do. Um, I was penalty killing. I was playing on the power play. I was producing. I was playing with really good players. Um, and that was kind of my coming out party. And then I was fortunate enough to go back to Adirondack and have a good season and get an AHL call, which was pretty uh, fulfilling. It, you, anytime you can rise two levels, um, it, it's a pretty proud moment. I never thought when I was starting in the SPHL that I would have a chance to play in the AHL. Um, but yeah, that, that year in Adirondack, we had an awesome team. It was a really fun, fun team to be a part of. We made a really good playoff run. Um, and yeah, it, the, those, those two years were kind of my coming out party, if you will. So how did you get on with Maine as a player? And also when you did um, get on with Maine, um, you also another call up into the AHL. So uh, I guess a two-part question, how did you get uh, hooked up with Maine? And then what was it like? Because instead of just putting your foot in the water with the AHL, you actually play quite a few games that season. Yeah. Um, the Mariners hadn't been around. The Portland Pirates left and and – Hockey in Maine had kind of gone away for two, three years. 
Um, and then was kind of halfway through that year in Adirondack when I heard that the Maine Mariners were coming back. And my parents had had uh, gotten a condo up here in, in Wells, Maine. Uh, my, my wife's from Lowell, Massachusetts. My one brother lives in Worcester. Um, so it kind of made sense from a social aspect to come to Maine. Uh, it, it was kind of almost like a coming home type of deal. So I, at the end of the season, I, I asked Adirondack uh, if I could get a trade and it was nothing against Adirondack. I absolutely loved my time in Adirondack, but just made sense from a, from a family standpoint to be traded to Maine. Um, so late that summer, I think it happened like early August. It was kind of a, a good waiting period there. Um, but early in August, I got the trade, um, and kind of just fell right in love with the city of Portland. Um, and it, it was, um, it's been nothing but great ever since I, I love Maine and, and I got the chance to play here. I was the assistant captain right off the bat with Riley Armstrong. We had a good relationship right away. Um, he trusted me. I trusted him. And um, I, I got off to a good start that year. And Hartford was looking for some two-way forwards um, and, a, and a centerman. So I got the chance to go up there and play and stick for a little longer than I think I anticipated. I played, I pretty much split that season half and half uh, Maine and Hartford. Um, and that was an awesome experience. I'm playing with guys who had big time NHL experience like Peter Holland, Matt Bolesky. And now you look at guys, uh, Kevin Rooney, uh, actually I played with him in Binghamton, but I played with Ryan Linger in there um, who's now a Rangers defenseman. So it was an awesome opportunity You get treated so well up there, but um Again, the, the, the trade to Maine was, was big for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, and so just comparing the A, the AHL, and the ECHL, I mean, obviously very similar North American-style leagues. Is there a huge difference in the style and play? I mean, obviously I know maybe skill level can be a bit different, but uh, I imagine it's pretty similar, right? Yeah, from, from a game style standpoint, it's, it's similar, but the level of execution is just a, another notch up. Everything's a little faster. Uh, the guys stick handle less at the AHL level, but they let the puck do the work, uh, which makes them makes everybody look faster. Um, and then you got, got like, obviously you're making a little more money. So guys can afford to uh, splurge on taking care of themselves and splurge on trainers and stuff like that. So I think it's, it's that type of stuff that separates the AHL from the ECHL. You get, you get treated a little bit better. You get some meals here and there. Um, and Again, it's it's a little quicker. It's a little faster pace. Um, you got to remember, you're you're a level under the NHL, so you're playing against some really high end talent as well. So your last uh, season, great season with Maine, and then COVID hit. Um, what happened during that time? And I think this would be a good point for you to kind of, uh, for any listeners that don't know, talk a little bit about your your hockey academy. But I'm particularly interested in the, uh, I hope I get it right, the quarantine classroom during the pandemic. So why don't you take it from there, Coach? Yeah, so uh, my last season was great. Uh, going into it, I kind of had an idea that it would be my last. I had talked with people about potentially getting into coaching. And right as COVID hit, um, it's funny, like a lot of guys know when their last game is going to be. So you kind of prep for it. I never really had that. So I went into my last game, which was like a Tuesday night versus Norfolk at home. I think we lost two one. And then after that, COVID kind of hit and it didn't really hit me that I was probably done. And then I got the assistant coach's job in May and it 
definitely didn't hit me because I was still able to be in the game. I, I wasn't leaving the game of hockey. So it, it, I don't think it still really ever hit me that I retired. I'm just so fortunate and happy that I'm still able to be a part of this great game. And um, yeah, that was an exciting time for sure. But then COVID hit. It was a constant waiting game through COVID. When we're going to start? Was it October? Was it December? Is it January? And it never really hit, never really stuck. Um, so I continued to run camps and clinics um, with Evolution Hockey. But the big thing through quarantine, like you just said, was my, my quarantine classroom. Um, it was a six-week session of, of Zoom, uh, Zoom calls, and they were free. Um, so I would have – there were some sessions I would have 75, 80 kids on these calls, and I would just go through pretty much the basics – of shooting, of skating, of uh, passing the puck, how to stick handle, different stuff like that. And I would try to get it down to their level and, and talk to these kids. And I would open it up for questions after. And it, it, it really not made the time go by, but it, it felt it was very rewarding for me seeing that many kids on there who wanted to learn. And honestly, the, these kids were bored out of their mind. I know a lot of people were bored out of their mind staying in their house. So it, it kind of gave these kids 35, 40 minutes to, to step away from that boredom and, and learn a little bit about, about hockey and, and get some notes out of it. So as you know, you, you had started to be the assistant coach for Maine. I am curious. Um, always like to ask the question, what was your main job? Penalty kill power play. What was your main focus? And uh, was there any jobs that made you better Maybe if you like, for, as an example, if you were in charge of the penalty kill, maybe that wasn't something you were good at, but had to do. Is there anything like that as well? Um, having run my, my skills camps and clinics, I think that the one piece that I was happy to add was like a little bit of skill development piece to our practices. Um, like before, before practices or after practices, I would pull the forwards aside and uh, we do 15 minutes of skills, whether that be like goal line attacks or shooting without a stick handle and stuff like that. Um, just kind of optimizing our time. Um, but I ran the penalty kill with the Mariners. Um, we did a great job, obviously, as the season goes on and guys get tired, you need to change some stuff here and there. So it was nice to, it was nice in my first year of coaching to kind of have to learn on the fly and, and make changes and, and adapt. Um, that's something that I, I'm really happy that I went through. Um, but in terms of stuff that I was like thrown into, um, I just really liked our setup. Uh, I ran the defenseman on the bench and then I ran forward skill development. So um, I got to, I got to touch a lot of guys. Like we, we call it getting our touches and that's kind of talking to guys and doing some video with guys. So every week um, my head coach, Ben Gita and I, we would pick four or five guys and we would go through three or four clips that we think that they can uh, build off or things they can work on. And I think that's something that I'll take with me for a long time is kind of, getting those touches and, and, and just keeping guys on their toes and, and keep them hungry and, and show them what works and what doesn't. Uh, I think that was a piece for me coming in uh, year one as a head coach. So you've got, uh, that'll bring us back full circle here to being uh, the new head coach at Maine. So what are you going to be looking for as far as uh, assistant coach and, and, dealing with well you've already been dealing with staff members but uh, I'm not sure if there's going to be any more video uh, coach or whatever you deal with but what are you looking for an assistant coach and sort of what's the do you have sort of a, a structure that you're looking to implement with the whole team 
Yeah, so I, I would like to have similar views on the game as the coach. I want, I want, I don't want a yes man. I, I want a guy who's going to push me, and I want a guy who's going to push the guys uh, out of their comfort zone so that we can get the most out of everybody. I think that's important to me is, is somebody that will kind of push back. Um, I want, I want a young and hungry guy that, that, uh, is, is willing to go to work and, and, and go through the hard stuff and wear a lot of hats. I think you kind of have to have that as an assistant coach. And I, I think that, um, it's hard to find, but when you find the right guy, it, it'll be, uh, it'll be a good combo. I'm, I'm, I, I feel that I'm, I'm pretty good to work with and work for, and I hope that, uh, the guy that I find uh, will be the same and we'll have a good relationship and we'll kind of tag team this thing and, and take our team to uh, not only getting guys called up, but, but win some games with the Mariners and, and make a good playoff run. And so it's interesting now with hockey, you know, you obviously have this new era of hockey compared to your old school hockey per se, but it's also present in the coaches as well. You have your old school, John Tortorella's, and then you have your new school, Marty St. Louis, and just the different approach that they have to coaching. And I know that the biggest part of that now is instead of just being a tyrant coach, as a lot of um, previous guests who played in the 70s, 80s and 90s, it was their way or no way, be a good soldier. Now the coaches are having like an almost brand new job of dealing with different personalities. You got to treat everybody a certain way. Certain people need to be coddled more, whether you agree with that or not, or some people are better with the tough love. Um, Terrence, as, as, as you're a younger guy as well, um, what kind of approach do you think you're going to take and how do you, or how did you as an assistant coach deal with the different personalities? Cause I imagine, and I couldn't be wrong, but it's, you know, with you being the director of hockey operations as well, you wear a lot of hats. I'm sure you're busy more in the office, but the assistant coaches maybe are there more hands-on, but what, what can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I, I don't really believe in the firm coach or the players coach. I think that good, the best coaches in the world can do both. I think there's somebody who players can talk to, but um, it's somebody that they trust. And when a coach needs to tell a guy how it is, there's that trust factor. Um, so my, my first thing is that I want to build trust with the players. I want them to believe that they can talk with me. I think you're hearing a lot of stuff about mental health now. Um, so I want to make sure that the guys are happy. I like, half the battle is being happy. You were playing a game for a living and these guys can get so caught up in their own heads. I know that I was at certain times about how you're not getting called up or you're not getting playing time here and there. So I think a lot of being a coach is guiding these guys and making sure that they're in a good, good state mentally. I think that's a, that's a big piece. The hockey stuff will take care of itself. These guys are good enough players where if there's a system in place, 90 to 95% of them can figure out, figure it out. But I think getting the guys ready to play and have a good mental state about going on the ice and performing at their highest level. I think that's probably the biggest thing that I'll try to take care of is make sure that the guys are, are mentally ready. And then from a hockey wise, I, I don't want to give away too many uh, secrets, but uh, I think, I think simple, you don't want to overload the guys with information. Uh, these guys, you want to play hockey. And the funnest part of playing hockey is kind of having that, that freedom to make plays and, um, if you make mistakes, I'm not going to take it out on you. It's, if, you, if you don't learn from your mistakes, I think that's where guys tend to get in trouble. But if you make a mistake and you learn from it, I'm, I'm willing to coach those guys and um, willing to teach. I, I, I want guys that are willing to learn and uh, it's okay to make mistakes. That's, that's okay. That's part of living. That's part of life. It's part of hockey. 
Um, but if, if, if you learn from it, that that's the biggest piece. So coach, um, not a, not an elephant in the room, but you certainly have, have fast tracked to where you are from just three years ago, a player to now, you know, assistant to head coach. Um, I'm not sure if there's, uh, any fans that would have, uh, uh, would want answer to this or not, but how are you, um, how do you address, uh, I mean, I could say Bruce Cassidy would be how I would do this, but, uh, all of a sudden you go one year assistant. Now you folk, uh, head coach, um, you know, certainly fast track. Um, I know you're ready for it. I know you are, but you know, what do you say of, uh, anybody that may say, Hey, all of, maybe this guy should have had more experience before he got a head coaching job. And you can't say, I say, you can't say that because you look at Bruce Cassidy an assistant with Providence to head coach, to head coach. I mean, boom, boom, boom. So, but you may have some naysayers. What do you, uh, how do you uh, address that? Or do you? I think no matter what, you're always going to have naysayers in the world of hockey. I think there's always going to be people that are, that are against you. Um, it's, it's pretty easy for me to tune stuff out because I, I think I'm more process driven rather than results driven. I think that, um, if guys are going about their work the right way, and if I'm going about my work the right way and my system is as well, that stuff will fall into place and, and stuff will work out. And I think that if you have that process mentality and you go to work the right way, that that stuff is going to work out for the better. And um, I, I, I'd like to think I don't have naysayers, but there's definitely people saying that he's young and um, maybe he needs more experience. But um, I think there's a reason that you're, you're selected for a job and I, I feel that I'm ready. And, um, I'm just, re I'm honestly just ready and excited to go to work. I, I know a lot of these guys, so it'll be a seamless transition. And the one thing I told guys on the phone is just because I'm young, doesn't mean this is going to be a country club. Uh, I, I think guys know me well enough to know that, uh, you're not just going to come in and kind of be lax and go out and practice how you want to practice. I think that practice habits matter a great deal. And, uh, we're going to practice hard and it's not going to be a country club. We're going to go to work when we're on the ice. We're going to go to work at video. We're going to go to work to make these guys better players, get them to the AHL and win games. So um, I think it, it's, it's important to tune those people out, but it's also important to kind of hear that and let it motivate you a little bit. And so kind of my last question, as far as, as the coaching goes and everything, you know, I'm always curious. We always like to ask, you know, kind of the behind the, the scenes questions, but, you know, as, as we mentioned before, and as some of our listeners, friends and family may not know, you do wear all the hats as an ECHL coach. So how do you, do you get any on the job training? Is it like, you know, because my, like my dad, you know, talked about, you know, you, you got there pretty quickly. So I imagine you didn't have too much uh, experience as far as learning the job per se, maybe the, the year or two you're doing it. So has there been anybody there to kind of show you how to, sign the players, do these things. I'm sure you know how to run the practices from being the assistant coach, but has anybody been able to help you? Or is it kind of like you're a grown ass man, Terrence, you can figure it out. Now you're a pro. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's part of uh, the second part. It's part of your grown man. We're putting you in this situation. You need to figure out how to get it done. But another part of it is I've had great mentors. Like I, I've mentioned their names a couple of times um, working with Ben Gite. Uh, he's a great teacher and I, I, I love to learn. Uh, that's one thing that I'm not going to come in and do is, is pretend that I know everything because I don't think anybody in the world of hockey knows everything. You need to constantly be learning from people. And Ben was a, was a great teacher with that stuff. He was always keeping me in the loop on how to do this stuff. 
Um, so I've not had the practice, but I, I've been around it. I've seen him do it. I know what it takes to be successful. Um, he, he put a lot of work in on, we need to do trade forms. We need to do tryout stuff. We need to do contracts and all that. So uh, I just understand that it's going to be a lot of work and I'm ready to kind of take on that responsibility. And, and again, I, I was really close with Riley Armstrong too. And I, I watched him do all this. So again, it's kind of that uh, fine line. It's kind of uh, you're in this position, you need to figure it out, but it's also uh, me kind of keeping an eye on those two when they're going through it to, to see what works and what doesn't. So we're going to finish um, up here with our lightning round questions. This is going to be testing your, uh, your brain to react quickly to old memories. So if you have a story, you can share it. If it's just a name or a title or a place, you can just do that. So uh, okay. I'll start. Toughest goalie to play against in your career? Uh, Connor Hellebuck, for sure. In practice every day, it's a nightmare. Which fan base was the craziest that you had the privilege to play for during your playing career? That I got the chance to play for? Yes. Um, when we were really rolling at UMass Lowell, that was a, that was fun to be a part of. Uh, and then probably the Adirondack Thunder, they had our fans there, especially because we made a great playoff run. Um, the fans there were, were pretty electric too. Now, when you played at UMass Lowell, just from an old alum there, uh, you, you playing at the new, what, the, the Songus Center? Yep, the Songus. Okay, okay. All right, next question. Uh, let's see. The player that had the innate, innate ability to get under your skin, who was the rat that just had your number every time you played? Oh, man. Uh, Joey Diamond comes to mind. Uh, Mike Cornell. It's actually funny. They, uh, they both played at University of Maine. Um, but those guys were always kind of in my grill and I was probably always in theirs too. Which now this can go back to, to college as well, but mostly in your pro career, which arena had the worst locker rooms? Again, it's kind of funny. University of Maine was pretty bad. Uh, their road locker rooms were pretty bad. Uh, Wheeling, West Virginia, their road locker rooms aren't great. Uh, I've been really fortunate enough actually like, all the teams that I've played for have had really, really good locker rooms. So I've been fortunate that way. Um, if you don't want to answer this one, you don't have to, just because being head coach now, you don't want to piss any team off. But in the East Coast League, which because we actually take polls from all from all our players, which team had the worst ice conditions? Oh, see, I, I've never been like a big uh, blame the ice kind of guy. Um, sometimes like when it's warm out, like, so some of the Southern teams were probably a little softer, but I, I've never been a guy really to complain about ice. Both teams are playing on it. Now, mostly in your pro career, who I know there could be plenty of names and it's hard to think of, but give us two or three of some of your, uh, favorite, uh, parent line mates that you, uh, played with. Um, I played with Dylan Fox for a while. Uh, he was a, he played at SUNY Plattsburgh. Uh, he comes to mind. Alex Kyle comes to mind who uh, is uh, kind of up and down between the AHL and ECHL. I played with him for most of my time in Maine. Um, when I was at uh, UMass Lowell, I played with Scott Wilson, who uh, has won a couple cups with uh, the Penguins. Um, yeah, I've had some, I've had some good ones. Brian Warden Adirondack, who's a really good player. Um, it's all about who you find chemistry though with um and i have had 
I've been fortunate enough to find some chemistry with a lot of good players. Last one from me. Um, and this may, your, uh, your upcoming players may want to listen to this one. Most crazy or embarrassing thing to happen to you in a game or warm up. Um, and you can imagine we've heard a lot of crazy stuff. <laughs> I don't have anything too crazy. I, I, I remember slipping puck during warm up for sure. And that's always money on the board in the room when you're playing. <laughs> um, in a, in a game though, I was, I was at UMass Lowell and my steel fell out. And this is before the time when he had the triggers to just like put new steel in. Um, but I was out on the ice and my steel popped out. So I was at the far side of the ice and I'm trying to get across the ice and obviously you can't step or anything. So I'm just, I'm a fish out there. I'm swimming <laughs> I'm sliding all over the place and can't get up. So I needed help from the refs to get me all the way over to the bench. Awesome. And so just to wrap it up, Terrence, I know that it's kind of a broad question, but uh, just so far in your career it could be your playing career. It could be now the coaching stuff, but what, what has been your favorite hockey career and your pro career overall so far? Memory. My favorite, my favorite yeah. year. No, no, your favorite memory. Favorite memory. Sorry. Favorite memory. Um, probably winning that first hockey's title. Uh, it was the first in the school's history, so like the amount of uh, pride that the school had in our in our following that year was ridiculous. It was really awesome to be a part of. Um, so probably winning that first one. We. It was an awesome game. It was actually the end of um, uh, what's his? I, I'm blanking on his name. The BU coach. Um, it was actually his last game ever, um, and uh, we we beat BU one nothing at the Garden in front of a sellout. And so that was pretty uh, that was pretty awesome. And then going to Frozen Four was awesome too in Pittsburgh. Um, I've been again. I'm sure a lot of guys have said this, but. I'm so fortunate to be in this game. It's, it's such an awesome game to be a part of. There's so many good people in the sport. Um, and like, it sounds cheesy, but every, every memory in this game is pretty awesome. Uh, the, the higher you climb, the, the better the memories get. Well, coach, that's a good segue into for us, us closing. We can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, I'm so glad because I, I think we are, well, I, I'm sure we're the first, quote, media people to uh, contact you. And again, uh, this won't be announced until the team announces you, but we can't thank you enough for giving us time. We know today is an exciting day for you uh, and uh, you're going to be a busy guy. We wish you the best. We'll say goodbye off air, but on air, we want to just say thank you for your time. We, we're certainly going to have you back. Hopefully you can give us some time when you're during the coach. We'll uh, figure out a time that you can uh, come back on and, and talk a little hockey and tell us how things are going. Yeah, yeah absolutely, guys. I, I appreciate you having me on, and I, I'd love to hop back on soon. I, I love to talk hockey anytime. So anytime you want, I'll be back on. So, Andrew, Lindroth Hockey Podcast, Hockey Insider. Yeah. How about that? Now, of course, you know, as, as we talked about, uh, you know, we have to, unfortunately, we can't do the insider stuff and post it first, but it is kind of cool that he got the news today. Let us know. And we're able to talk about it on the podcast today. So uh, very cool, man. We, we wish him the best. And it is nice that uh, we got to interview the head coach of uh, a team in the Bruins organization, as, as people know that we are a uh, big time Bruins fans. So, yeah. And of course, uh, you know, our parent company, Black and Gold, Productions uh, is actually credentialed uh, media group with 
both Maine, I believe, and definitely Providence, and they're working with the Bruins too. So, uh, you know, we've got a good uh, connection there as well for Black and Gold Productions. And um, what a great guy. He's definitely fast-tracked, uh, but hopefully this podcast will give um, the Maine fans and Boston affiliate fans uh, a little bit of background of who uh, Coach uh, Wallen is. And, you know, he's definitely, uh, even though he grew up in, in uh, just, I guess, outside of New England per se, but he spent a lot of his time in New England and uh, it's going to be a good fit for him. Yeah, absolutely. And we wish him the best of luck. You know, we like uh, highlighting the guys that are not only in that play or play in the highest of the pro leagues, but, you know, UCHL is also a very, very high level um, pro hockey league in the SPHL. It takes a lot to make to those teams and, you know, good on Terrence for making it very quickly and, Again, we wish him nothing but the best of luck, and we hope that uh, we can keep up with him um, throughout this next season. So we appreciate everybody, again, tuning in. This will be published. See, we're recording this on a Monday, so this will be published later in time. So we hope everybody has a good weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like I said, everybody, you know, once if you're listening to this on the day it's been published, uh, that'll be when uh, he was announced as head coach, but we are going to keep our promise to him and we won't uh, say anything to anybody until the team announces it. And that's just how we roll at the Lindroth hockey podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm having to switch my thing off from mute to not mute. So we appreciate everybody for tuning in today. Thank you guys. All right. Thank you guys.